I want you to turn with me please to Romans in chapter 5. There is so much in the word of God that we never can reach the end of it. No matter how many times we read it. It's like a well that never runs dry. So, don't say about the Bible like you say about a storybook. I've read it. I've been reading the Bible for 58 years and I can't, still can't say I've read it. Many storybooks I've read. But it's different in the Bible. So I want you to see something very interesting in two verses here particularly. Romans 5 verse 16. Maybe we'll begin at verse 15. He's comparing what Adam did with what Jesus did. What Adam did in the Garden of Eden with what Jesus did on the cross. So, for the free gift which Christ gives is not like the transgression. Transgression is referring to Adam. For by the transgression of the one person Adam, Many people died. That means the entire human race was born into spiritual death. And that was through a physical lineage. Every child born into the world is physically a child of Adam and it is in our system. The, we inherit the flesh of Adam, which is a sinful flesh. And we are born with an old man, which is a tendency towards sin. So that's what we've inherited. Much more the grace of God, by the gift of grace by one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. He's comparing what came through one man, Adam, and what comes through one man, Jesus Christ. Very important to understand this. Don't just skip through this as saying, yeah, yeah, I know that. You don't know it actually, many of you. What came through one man and which you got, you didn't choose it, you got it. And what came through Jesus Christ, which we inherit. Then it says the gift, that is the gift that comes through Christ, is not like that gift which, not that, like that which came through the one who sinned. On the one hand, the judgment which came on Adam arose from one transgression. He sinned once. He did not commit two sins before he was condemned, rejected by God. One sin. The result was condemnation. Now, what I want to share with you today is about condemnation and justification, which some of you think you know it, but well, if you know it, I hope you'll know it better today. But many, I fear, do not know it. So I'm going to go very slowly. Through one person came condemnation. Who was that one person? Tell me. Adam. Tell me, who was the one person through whom condemnation came? Adam, right. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. 
So now he is contrasting it. If by the transgression of one Adam, death became king. You know how spiritual death became king over your life? Long before you decided to sin, you inherited something. The transgression of one person who was your forefather and my forefather, Adam. And if through that, death could reign much more if you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it will reign. It will make you a ruler in life through Jesus Christ. You know, if you really understand the import of just these two, three verses, 15 to 18, I believe it can make a tremendous difference in your life. So read carefully and listen carefully. That death reigned over you once and righteousness will reign in life. Righteousness will rule you. So then, by one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Now see how the one sin of Adam is being compared with the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Have you ever thought of that? One act of sin and one act of righteousness on the cross. One act. And I inherited death. Now I can inherit life. On that side I got condemnation. Now I can get justification by one act. The first one did not come through me. It came through another. The second also does not come through what I did. It came through another. It's very important to understand that. So, if through the transgression, verse 18, of one transgression, condemnation came on all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness of Christ, there resulted justification of life to all men who come into the lineage of Christ. It was because we were in the lineage of Adam that we got the condemnation. And if you come into the lineage of Christ, you inherit that justification. Even so, through the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now through the obedience of one Jesus Christ, many are made righteous. And the law came so that transgression might increase means people see how serious sin is. But where sin increased when Jesus came, grace abounded all the more. So just as sin has reigned in death, so grace might reign in righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, what shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin? No. See, if we understand this, so what I want to say is, why is it many Christians, including some of you, perhaps many of you sitting here, live under condemnation? Why do you condemn yourself or feel condemned? Why do you always have the feeling that God is frowning on you? And God is always angry with you. He's always got something against you. That is condemnation. Why is it? Because you haven't understood this passage. He goes on in chapter 8 and verse 1 to say, Romans 8, 1, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As long as I remain in 
Christ Jesus, I can never have condemnation. So that teaches us. So let me revise this. Condemnation came through Adam. And if you still are connected to Adam, you deserve to have condemnation every day of your life. But the moment you switch to, to be connected to Jesus Christ, not just intellectually believe in Jesus Christ, but to be connected. You know how when you put a, a plug into a socket, you're connected to the power, then the current flows. And as long as you're connected to the power, the current flows. But you pull it out, connection is gone. It's like that. As long as you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So if you ever condemn yourself, or somebody else condemns you, or you feel condemned, or you feel that God's very upset with you and angry with you, and he's always frowning at you, it either means that you're not in Christ, you're not connected, you pulled out the plug sometime, or you don't believe the word of God. You're believing all the lie that the devil keeps telling you. The devil's always ready to say the opposite of what God's word says. You know, God told Adam, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. You know what the devil said? Uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read it to you. This is what the devil said in Genesis 3. He didn't say you will die. He didn't say you will not die. God said you will surely die in the day you eat of it. That is a very clear word that the Lord spoke to Adam. In the day you eat of it, Genesis 2.17, you shall surely die. And the devil said, not, you shall not die. He said, you shall surely not die. He uses the same word. Genesis 3, 4. Exactly like Jesus said, you, God said, you'll surely die. The devil says, you shall surely not die. You have to see exact opposite. Anything the devil says, God says, I'm your father. The devil says, he's not your father. You can choose whom you believe. And God says your sins are forgiven. The devil can say you are not forgiven. You remember the woman caught in adultery? You remember what Jesus told her? Very important to understand it. The full gospel in one sentence. The full gospel in one sentence. John chapter 8 and verse 11. This is the woman caught in adultery. She was probably a prostitute. And uh, Jesus did not stone her because he didn't come to earth to stone people. And when all the people wanted to stone her were sent away. Listen to these words. Two sentences. Neither do I condemn you. From now on no sin no more. This is the full gospel. He didn't say Sin a little less, gradually overcome it. No, 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 no. That's not the full gospel. He's not saying, try to sin no more. Jesus' words are clear. I don't condemn you. Don't sin again. That is the full gospel that we have preached here. 
And I want to say to you, that is the main difference between CFC and all other churches which only preach, I don't condemn you. They don't preach that second part. Go and sin no more. They say, as long as you live on the earth, you will sin. That's like telling this woman caught in adultery, Jesus saying, listen, you're a prostitute. So you've had this habit for a long time. So it will happen. Don't worry. But I will forgive you. That's not what he said. That's a lie. That's a false gospel. And it's being preached all over. And because we preach the true gospel, the full gospel, we are called heretics. I've had that label for 42 years. And I'm not bothered. The apostle Paul told the governor Felix, according to this, these people called me a cult leader and a cult. I worship God, the God of my fathers. Let people call. They call Jesus a heretic. They call Paul a heretic. It doesn't matter. But this is the truth. What is the first sentence? I do not condemn you. It's very, very important. You cannot get to the second sentence until you get past the first. That's what I'm trying to say here. And I feel that many people who are struggling for victory over sin do not come to it because they are trying to go to the second step before they've taken the first one. They're trying to go to college before they've finished school. You can't do it. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Woman or man, I do not condemn you. Condemnation is from the devil or from your own mind or from other human beings or from preachers who are legalists who try to make you feel condemned so that you will listen to them and follow them or you will give your money by making you feel condemned. God will curse you if you don't pay your tithe. Ah, that's enough. Condemnation. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, never, never listen to a preacher who tries to bring you under condemnation or makes you do anything in your life by condemning you. If you don't join this church, condemnation will come. Don't listen to such a man. He's a liar. If you leave our group and go to another group, it will go badly with you. Condemnation will come. That is a lie. I can publicly say, if a person decides to leave CFC for any reason, and goes and joins to some other group, I never say to him, it will go badly with you. Never, never, never. If I meet him on the road, I only ask him one question. Brother, I hope you are following Jesus, wherever you go. That's all I want to know. I never ask him to come back. I never tell him that we are the only group that will be raptured when Christ comes. That's a lot of rubbish. Are you following Jesus? That's the important thing. I don't know why you left CFC or whatever reason it is. I don't want to know. But you don't go to hell by leaving CFC. No, not at all. You go to hell if you leave your connection with Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen. And if you live a, want to live a worthwhile life on earth, then follow Jesus. And I hope that the church you go to will encourage you to follow Jesus every Sunday. Not once in a while. Every Sunday. That's the only type of church I want to be in. And I'll tell you the reason for that. Hebrews chapter 3 is a very important verse which many of you may not know. Those of you who know it very well, be patient. There are other people sitting here who don't know it. So I need to instruct them. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 to 14. 
Okay? You got to read them together. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take care, brothers. These are born again believers. Because it says in verse 1, they are holy brothers, partakers of heavenly calling. He's writing to holy brothers who are partakers of heavenly calling. Take care. Listen to preachers who tell you to take care. Those are the preachers you should listen to. Take care. Lest there should be in one of you believers, believers, holy brethren, an evil, unbelieving heart. Not an evil, murderous heart or adulterous heart, maybe you don't have that. But an unbelieving heart. Now many people don't think an unbelieving heart is evil. They think adultery and murder is evil. Here it says an unbelieving heart is evil. Because if you keep that, you can fall away from the living God. Hey, you say, you mean after I become a holy brother, I can fall away from the living God? Well, that depends on whether you believe the Bible or whether you believe all the different preachers who are preaching different things today. There's a group called the Calvinists who preach like that and some Baptists and brethren follow that. You'll never fall away. I prefer to believe the Bible. Take care, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, verse 1. Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, please take care, verse 12, that you don't get an evil, unbelieving heart and fall away from the living God. I want to take care. It's not condemnation. I'm just being careful. If I'm walking through a very dangerous you know like for example if there's been a storm and electric poles and have fallen on the ground and there are electric wires lying on the ground on a wet ground you know how dangerous that can be I would say brother please take care when you walk through that road you can be electrocuted that's, it. that's the only thing yeah. It's the same type of warning I give to people when you walk in this world with all types of things that can lead you to something worse than electrocution, spiritual death. Take care. Any good father will say that. Because you can fall away from the living God. You holy brethren can fall away from the living God. So what should we do to prevent it? Verse 13. Encourage one another every day. Encourage one another. Not condemn one another. Encourage one another. Not to fall away. When you talk to a brother. When you talk to a sister. If you gossip. You're helping him or her to fall away. Leave all these problems that brothers and sisters have. Leave it with God. He's a good judge. He can handle all those problems. He doesn't need your help to judge anybody. I'll tell you that. He doesn't need any assistant judges. Leave it to him. There's no need for you. If you want to do something, you hear something evil about somebody, if you want to do something, pray for that person. Don't just go spreading stories about him to, the, uh, to other people or her. You will not accomplish anything thereby except destroy yourself. You can, those who have ears to hear, please hear. I know that after years of saying this, some people will still not hear. I cannot do anything about them. There are some people who have such a loose tongue, 
such a loose tongue that they always their conversation gets exciting only when they say something bad about somebody else they will never say anything bad about their own children oh no 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 their children are perfect they will say bad about somebody else some other elder some elder in the church or some sister maybe the way some girl dresses or something if you have a problem please go and tell the girl's parents why talk to somebody else who cannot help that girl who's dressed immodestly it's not going to help you see some young sister dressed immodestly if you really want to help her you love her go and talk to her father or if you're a sister go and talk to her mother and say sister i love you i just want to say with the love i prayed for your daughter you know don't you think it'll be good if she dresses a little more modestly that's the way to do it instead of going to somebody and say hey see how that sister dresses that way you will destroy yourself you mark my words in the day of judgment if you have not destroyed yourself all those who carry on such conversation i'll tell you why because god treats us the way we treat other people i'm absolute after 58 years i've discovered one thing god always treats me the way i treat other people the way i treat other people's children god treats my children believe it or not the way you treat other people's children god will treat your children the way you treat other people god will treat you i believe it i have 58 years of experience to prove it encourage one another day after day because that brother that sister has not yet become perfect is not yet become christ like he has not yet reached heaven there's a danger of every brother or sister you talk to is in danger of falling away from the living god do something to help him if you see somebody slipping into a river what do you do what do you stand there and exhort him come on stand properly or you'll give us hand and pull him out that's all it's saying here's a person people around you in danger of slipping away please stretch out a hand and this hand of encouragement say something good say something that will help them to face life more boldly face the devil more boldly and it says as long as it is called today means this word today will not last forever one day there'll be no more today when you die or christ has come today is over so as long as it is called today encourage one another otherwise people can be hardened not through obvious sin through the deceitfulness of sin obvious sin is murder adultery hitting people getting angry no 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 these things don't harden people because they know they it is obvious the hardening comes through deceitful sins deceitful sins one of the num two or three deceitful sins let me tell you hypocrisy pretending to be more spiritual than you are talking spiritual language when you are not overcoming in your life If you're not an overcomer in your relationship with your wife please humble yourself don't try to talk too much spiritual language and give exhortations to others which you're not following in your own life just say brother please pray for me i'm struggling to live a holy life that's a much better thing than going around trying to preach to others when you yourself don't know how to live a godly way with your in your own home let's humble ourselves god gives grace to the humble when he sees you're so proud and try to give exhortations to people when you yourself are in a pathetic condition at home god will never give you grace because he sees you as a hypocrite 
the deceitfulness of sin. Number one is hypocrisy. Pretending to be more spiritual than we are. And I want to tell you, I don't know who you are or how spiritual you are or how, think you are or how senior you are. You are in danger of hypocrisy all the time. You're not in danger of hypocrisy in your world, with your worldly friends, in your place of work. There you're not a hypocrite. You're in danger of hypocrisy in CFC. With CFC believers, you're in great danger of being a hypocrite. Deceitfulness of sin. That's number one. And number two is pride. Pride is another very deceitful sin. You, you can't even see when it has come. It's like bad breath, you know. We usually don't have, we are not aware when we have bad breath. Other people can smell it when they come near us. And our bodies are such, you know, as get, especially when people get much older, they don't have much control over the quality of their breath because their body system has all become weak. And a lot of older people just have bad breath. You can't do anything about it. But they are not aware of it very often themselves. When you are younger, you may not have such a problem. But it's, pride is like that. You are not aware of it. But other people can see it. And sometimes, if the other person is not spiritual, they may not see it. A spiritual person, like if you have a sensitive nose, you can pick up a smell anywhere. In the same way, a spiritually sensitive person who is mature can see pride in a person. Very easy. But you may not be aware of it yourself. I met numerous believers like this. I can meet a person for five minutes, a total stranger, a believer who claims to be a believer, for five minutes, and I can see where he stands. I mean, that's because I've met so many believers. But they're not aware of it. There are people who have come to some of our churches who want to take over their church as if they are spiritual. And I can see from day one they are carnal. And I have to warn the elders, make sure this fellow never comes into your church. I've actually had to tell some people in some of our churches in some places, watch out for this guy. Let him sit at the back seat, but don't let him ever have any influence in this church. Put him out if you find he's talking to too many other people here. We don't want to corrupt a church. We must sense where a person is arrogant and proud. It's a deceitful sin. And third is selfishness. That's one of the most deceitful. It's very, very difficult I'll tell you honestly, I'm still discovering areas of selfishness in my life, even though I've tried to cleanse myself for years. It's like an onion. Like you've often heard me say, you peel and peel and peel and peel and peel. It becomes thinner, but you still haven't got to the bottom of it. Blessed are you if you can acknowledge that you've not come to the bottom of that onion. If you think you've come to the bottom, you'll be pretty proud. But if you can honestly say, I'm still discovering areas in my life where I may be selfish and I'm not even aware of it. In your home, particularly. In your relationship with your brothers and sisters. You see, there are a lot of people in CFC who in their relation to CFC, they don't realize how selfish they are. How they make other believers do all the dirty work and they themselves choose work which is, won't soil their hands or soil their clothes. They don't realize the utter selfishness of their action. They volunteer to sing in the choir and uh, do all the media work. They'll never dirty their hands to clean the toilets or anything. And they don't realize, the sad, that's okay, but they don't realize how utterly selfish they are. 
I'm not saying that we all have to go and do that, but my point is, are you willing to do anything? There you see layers of selfishness and if you don't cleanse it, who's going to suffer? CFC will not suffer. I tell you, CFC will never suffer if you don't do a job because there are 10 other people who are ready to do that job. You will suffer. I remember when I was a young Christian and I was just very young, 21 years old, 22 years old. Nobody thought anything of me and I used to go to different big assemblies and I would always seek to do the lowly job. Always, always, always. Take the lowest place, do the lowly job. That's how I grew. And I would encourage all of you to do that. Don't seek for the place of honor and position. God will one day lead you there. If he sees that you're happy with the low place, let God exalt you. Don't ever try to exalt yourself. I can say with all of my heart that in 58 years of my Christian life, I have never once tried to exalt myself in any church. Never means never. Because I saw right from the beginning that Jesus always humbled himself. And I'm thankful I saw that when I was 19 years old. I did not need to grow in the Christian life to see it. I saw it and I said, Lord, I want to go that way. It's been a long process. It took me time to overcome other sins. But I never tried to exalt myself. So I want to say to you, there's a deceitfulness of sin in these three areas. Be very, very careful. And if you see other people having this because you're more mature than them, be merciful. Because you've got the same flesh as them. Don't go around talking about them. That won't help them. And it says you can help them by what? Verse 13, encourage them. You've often heard me say that you must never go and correct a brother if you have not encouraged him first. Before you go to correct a brother, ask yourself, have you ever prayed for him and encouraged him? If not, keep your mouth shut. You've heard me use the illustration that when you encourage a brother, you're building a blackboard. On that blackboard, you can take a white chalk and correct him. But the blackboard is encouragement. If you have not encouraged him, you'll be taking a white chalk and writing in thin air. You're saying so many things, this, 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 but he can't see anything. You know why he can't see it? Because you've never encouraged him in your whole life. It's a blackboard. What you say may be right. What you're writing in thin air may be right, but he can't see it. So if you really want to help somebody, begin by encouragement. Very important. Encourage one another. And like that, if you hold on, verse 14, Hebrews 3.14, until the end, until the end, you will become a partaker of Christ. You are a partaker of Christ already. Hold on till the end and you will be a partaker of Christ at the end. Don't fall away. They are amazing with so many clear verses. I am amazed how people go around teaching that a believer cannot fall away. They have to scratch out certain verses in the Bible. Amazing. Heaven and earth will pass away. This word will not pass away. For I believe in. That's why my life is secure. So it's very important that we try to follow these examples. Let me give you an example. Among all the churches which Paul wrote to, 
Which was the worst church? Which one? Corinth. There was somebody committing adultery with his stepmother there. People taking each other to court. After the breaking of bread, some people would not share their food with others, the poor people. It was a terrible church. They were all speaking in tongues without any interpretation. Paul said, you fellows are mad. People coming into your church will see you think you are mad. All of you speaking in tongues like that. That's what the Bible says. That when you go to a church and you hear everybody speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 says, won't they say you are mad? That's what, I, that's what I say when I go to some churches. I say, these guys are mad. They are mad according to 1 Corinthians 14.23. But anyway, if you don't know that verse, you must remember it. If everybody speaks in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14.23, people will say, you are mad. And uh, that's exactly what I say when I go to any church where I see everybody speaking in tongues in a chaotic way. And I've been to many churches like that. I don't tell them, but if somebody asks me, I'll show them the verse. So that they fight with the Holy Spirit and not with me. Anyway, but Corinth was one of the worst churches. And do you know what Paul writes to them? To this church which has so many problems. There's quarreling, fighting, court cases, adultery, and not sharing their food with the poor, and all types of things. And this is how Paul begins, 1 Corinthians 1. Listen to this. <laughs> it's amazing. What an example. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which is in you in Christ Jesus. In everything you are enriched in Him, in all speech, all knowledge. As the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with Son Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I say, hey Paul, hang on. Do you know whom you are writing to? Are you writing to Ephesians or to the Corinthians? Paul says, I know. Corinthians. Then he says, now he's made the blackboard, right? And on this blackboard he writes, verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, agree, because I've heard, verse 11, there are so many quarrels among you. And then he goes on to say, chapter 3, you are still fleshly, verse, chapter 3, verse 3, you have jealousy, you've got strife, you're walking like men. And listen to this, chapter 4, verse 21, shall I come to you with a rod? <laughs> it's like a father. Shall I, shall I give you a spanking? Shall I come to you with a rod? Can you ever go to a brother and say, shall I come to you with a rod? He was an apostle. He was a spiritual father, but he began with encouragement. A good lesson for earthly fathers in the way they correct their children. A word of encouragement can do a lot great more wonders than many words of correction. Any child will say that encouragement. I fear that Parents, and especially I think in India, we don't have the habit of encouragement. We really don't have it. I find it's very difficult, I find in many Indian people, to learn to appreciate godly elder brothers. Why is that? 
It's just not in our system. Not only godly elder brothers. You husbands, please ask yourself, when was the last time, when was the last time you said something to really appreciate your wife? Was it 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Please try and remember. Bible says encourage one another daily. The only person you see daily is your husband or wife. That is a proof that we are pathetically poor. And some of you who earn 100,000 rupees, 50,000 rupees, 30,000 rupees a month, you are poor in the most important thing of learning how to encourage your wife or your husband. It doesn't come easily. But then, without encouraging you, correct, this is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. You're all writing into thin air. Your wife can't hear anything. Brother, your wife cannot hear anything, what you're saying. Sister, your husband cannot hear what you're saying. What you're saying is right, but he can't see it. Because you're writing in thin air. Let's build a blackboard. Encourage one another. I'll tell you why we don't encourage one another. Let me go back to what I said in the beginning. Because we live under so much condemnation ourselves. There is no condemnation. You see the connection between the two? We go around condemning others because we ourselves are under condemnation. Can you honestly say, please be honest with yourself now. Can you say that you wake up every morning believing that God is smiling at you and happy with you and He's not angry with you, He's not frowning at you? Can you honestly say that? No, I fear that many believers live under condemnation. And that spirit affects them so much they go around condemning others. Correction is different. Correction can be as strong as what Paul says, you are fleshly, you are worldly. I have to come to you with a rod. Yeah, that is godly man's correction, but he begins with encouragement. It's always like that. Jesus sometimes spoke to his disciples strongly. How long shall I stay with you, you people of unbelief? But he also spoke tremendous words of encouragement. I have kept thrones for you in heaven. So a person who is constantly encouraging others, one word of correction comes clearly on the blackboard. It produces results. If you don't believe that, believe me, try that next time with your children, with your marriage partners. Begin with encouragement and don't tell lies. Don't say to your wife, you're the most beautiful person in the world and all that type of thing. I'm not asking you to tell lies like that. Be honest. Say to me, you're the most beautiful person. That's right. But don't tell lies. You're so intelligent. I wonder if anybody's more intelligent than you. This is be because they know that you're just trying to tell lies. Be honest. You know, if the meal is not good, you can at least say, Thank you so much for working so hard to produce this meal. You don't have to say, what a rotten meal you made today. So many things, if you look at it, and I'll tell you, the reason is because we think God is also speaking to us like that. God is always saying, what a rotten person you are. Do you hear God saying you do that? That's not, the, that's not God, by the way, that was the devil. You got your phone connection wrong. That was the devil you got connected to. I'll tell you about a dream. I said this to in CFC, I think, about 38, 40 years ago. I had a dream. 
which I shared with uh, I've had very few dreams that are meaningful. This is one of them. I saw myself in this dream coming back from speaking in a big conference. In those days we didn't have any CFC conferences. We were just meeting in our house. But some other place. I was staying somewhere and I had gone to speak. And there was a great liberty in the meeting. And as I came back to the room I was staying in, in that conference center, I heard a voice behind me saying, that was not good enough. It's in my dream. That was not good enough. You could have done better. And I thought I had poured out my heart there. And in my dream I am saying to the Lord, Lord, why is it when you speak to me face to face, you always encourage me. But when you speak from behind my back, you always discourage me. And the Lord said to me in my dream, turn around and see who is speaking. And in my dream I turned around and I saw this black figure, it was obviously the devil running away. I learned a lesson that day. And I shared it with the church then. And I share it with you now. Never forget it. That voice that you hear from behind your ear saying, Not good enough. Not good enough. You can do better. You think it is the Holy Spirit. You'll say, how can the devil tell me to do better? He's not telling you to do better. He's trying to condemn you. It's not the Holy Spirit. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know that verse? It's a beautiful verse. A lot of people know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the word for unbelievers. Do you know what is the word for believers? John 3.17. Next verse. A lot of believers don't know the next verse. You need to know John 3.17. You've already come through John 3.16. You need to know John 3.17. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world must be saved through Him. Have you got it? Not to condemn you, not to judge you, but to save you. Do you find some filthy, rotten habit in your life? Maybe your anger. Maybe your dirty sexual thoughts you're struggling. Maybe your addiction to pornography. Have you got some dirty habit like that? I want to tell you today, my brother, if you have given your life to Christ, Jesus has not come to condemn you. He's come to save you. Two sentences. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And you say, Lord, I can't. I fall into sin. I will help you. Let us rush to the throne of grace to get grace to help us in our time of need. I'll tell you another story. When my, one, when my children were all small, one day I sent one of my sons, I told one of my sons, please go to the store and get a loaf of bread. I think he must have been about eight years old or something. And obedient son that he was, he dashed off to get the loaf of bread. And a few minutes later, he came back. Dad, give me the money. <laughs> I said, son, what did you expect? What do you think I expected you to do? Go and work as a coolie or laborer somewhere, earn the money and buy the bread and come? No. When I told you to go and buy the bread, I ex expected you to ask me for the money. And when the Lord says to you, don't sin, He expects you to ask Him for the grace. Not run off and say, okay, I'm not going to sin. And you'll come running back, say, Lord, I sinned. That's what's happening. 
So learn a lesson from that. Don't run away before you ask God for grace. He doesn't ask you to work and earn and produce that loaf of bread yourself or to work and hard and overcome that sin. No! He says, come back and I'll give you grace to overcome. There is no condemnation. So how shall we live this life without condemnation? I don't want to say too much, but I'll tell you two simple rules. Number one is Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Keep a good conscience. Number one. Always keep a good conscience. Paul says, I do my best. He's not saying I do my best never to sin. That's another thing. I do my best to keep my conscience blameless. That means if I sinned, I immediately set it right. And my heart is cleansed. My conscience is clear. He's not saying for so many years I've never sinned. That is foolish people who don't know what sin is speak like that. They imagine they have become like Christ. Paul never said that. He said, I keep my conscience clear. Acts 24.16 Always with God and with men. That means if I had a dirty thought or some sin I had against God, a bad attitude towards somebody, I immediately confess it to God. I want to ask you, how many of you do that? When you discover that you had a bad attitude towards some person, a brother or sister, do you realize that's a sin, first of all? Do you realize that you are swallowing a poison right there? It's a wrong attitude to a brother or sister or to your wife or husband. A wrong attitude. You haven't said a word. It's just inside. The poison is only inside. Do you go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I had a wrong attitude. Please cleanse me. I've done that. I've done that because I'm like you. I've been tempted to have wrong attitudes to people. I immediately say, Lord, cleanse me. Because I want to keep a blameless conscience before God. If you slip up in your thought life, sexually or in some other way, immediately go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, cleanse me. Keep your conscience clear immediately. Like I use two illustrations. If a thorn gets into your foot, take it out immediately. If you fall down on the road, get up immediately. Don't lie down there and pray. Pray can come later. You get up first. That is all I'm saying. As soon as you're aware of a sin, confess it immediately to God and to men. Did you hurt somebody? Confess it immediately. I'm sorry. That was my mistake. Please forgive me. Develop this habit. Men are not as holy as God is. But we think we can go to a holy God and just say, Lord, forgive me. But we can't say to a man, forgive me. I'll tell you why. You're not really saying to God. That's why. That's why we never come to a life of victory. Do you know sometimes we can think we are praying to God and we are not praying to God? You can say the right words. Oh God, Heavenly Father. I'll give you an example from the Bible. Jesus himself said, turn to Luke 18. Luke 18 Jesus said there were two men, verse 10, who went into the temple to pray. 
Luke 18 verse 10. In verse 11, the Pharisee, now read this carefully. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself, Oh God, I thank thee. He was saying the right words, but to whom was he praying? Did you read it? To whom? To himself. Oh God, I thank you. But I'm only praying to myself. I don't believe God's listening because my conscience is not clear. That can often happen in public prayer. Oh God, some wonderful things. But you're only praying to the congregation to hear you. I want to try a fantastic prayer. God is not listening. Lord of prayers are prayed to the congregation or to yourself. They don't connect with God. And that's why we say, oh Lord, why that prayer was not answered? You never prayed to him. You never prayed to him. You took up the phone and without dialing the number, you started talking like little children, you know. They pick up the phone and start talking. You start, oh God, Heavenly Father, 101 things you say, but you didn't even connect to him. So, it's possible that a lot of our prayers are just to ourselves. Turn to Psalm 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Did you hear that? The Lord will not pick up the telephone if there's sin in your heart. If you have not confessed your sin to Him, if you have hurt somebody and you have not confessed to that person, the Lord will not even pick up the telephone. You can keep on speaking on that phone. Speak for hours. But it is not, line is not connected. God hasn't picked up the phone because you have not confessed your sin. Paul knew that. So he says, I do my best to always keep my conscience free from offense toward God and toward men. As soon as you are aware of something, confess it to that person. I am sorry, my mistake, please forgive me. I want to set it right with God and with men. Because I want to keep the lines of communication with God open all the time. Very important, brother, very important. If you are doubtful, better to assume that you hurt the person. Don't say, well, I'm not too sure. Well, if you're not too sure, assume that you hurt the other person. It's always better that way. So that is the first thing. Keep your conscience absolutely clear. Always, always means 24-7. You'll have a wonderful life. And the second thing I want, I told you, I'll tell you two things. One, keep your conscience always clear. And the second thing, always treat other people the way you want to be treated yourself. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. The way you want people to treat you, treat them. Because that is the message of the whole Bible. That's what it says there. That is the message of the whole Bible. The law and the prophets is an expression Jesus used for the Old Testament Bible. So he's saying the message of the whole Bible is treat other people the way you want them to treat you. Do you like people yelling at you? No. Don't yell at others. Do you like people gossiping about you behind your back? No. Don't gossip about others. Do you like people accusing you before finding out the facts? No. Don't do it to others. First find out what happened. Don't immediately go to judgment. Do you like, listen to this carefully, do you like people to remember the things that you have apologized for? You apologized for it five years ago. Do you want them to remember it? No, 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 no. I did wrong. I apologized. It's set right. I don't want them to remember it. Then don't remember against others 
what they have apologized to you for. It's a very simple rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. In the world they call that the golden rule. But Jesus taught it. Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. And I would go one step further. And that is, that is the way God will treat you. I'll tell you something. Some of you have got servants in your home. It's fine. Let me tell you something. The way you treat your servants, God will treat you. I've had servants in my home. I always felt, Lord, I want you to be good to me. I want you to be good to me when I make mistakes. When I make mistakes for the tenth time, the hundredth time, as I've often done, I want you to be good to me. Here is someone who is on a lower social level than me in my house. I want to be good to that person. Give them an unexpected bonus. Ever thought of that? You're, you're cold and calculating. Yeah, I know some CFC believers who try to get, extricate the maximum work from their servants. They say, we are paying. We must get the maximum work out of them. No wonder you don't grow spiritually. You think you're spiritually or religious. You don't have the fullness of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord. Because you are hard on others. You want to extricate the maximum work from others. God will extricate the maximum from you. It's a law. It says that in Psalm 18. You know, when you understand the laws of God, life becomes so wonderful. I can tell you, I... I'm not a perfect man. I'm not completely free from selfishness. I'm battling. But I want to be like Jesus. But I'll tell you one thing. I want to be kind to others. Jesus says, be merciful like your heavenly father is merciful. And I want to do that. Psalm 18 verse 25. With the kind, you will show yourself kind. Last part of verse 26. But with the crooked, you will show yourself smart or astute. You can't outsmart God. I'll tell you something. With the kind, God shows himself kind. You want God to be kind to you. Be kind to others. I've seen parents who are very lenient with their own children, very strict with other people's children. Oh, ho. I won't be surprised if your children go astray. Be good to other people's children. Always. God will be good to your children. Believe me, I've experienced it. Don't live in the condemnation of God. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Live justified. That means my conscience is clear. I've been accepted in Christ. I am in Christ. If your conscience is clear... Number one, and you're trying your best to treat other people, especially those lower than you, in the same way you want to be treated, in the same way God, you want God to treat you, I can tell you, you are justified in Christ. And you can live all the time under an open heaven, never fearing that God is frowning on you, 
Okay, one day you didn't get to read the Bible in the morning. Or you didn't get to read the Bible the whole day. That can happen sometimes. You live, oh, you must be angry with me because I didn't read the Bible today. Rubbish. There are other people who read the Bible half an hour in the morning and tell lies in the office during the day. God is unhappy with that person. The important thing is not reading the Bible in the morning. The important thing is obeying the Bible 24 hours. Got it? It is easier to read the Bible half an hour in the morning than to obey the Bible 24 hours. To treat other people the way God treated you, 24 hours. Is that easy? Or read the Bible half an hour in the morning? Much easier to read the Bible. Some people ease their conscience, I've read the Bible. No, you're not, that's not all. Even if you didn't read the Bible, treat other people the way God treated you. Keep your conscience clear. We, why do we read the Bible? Not to ease my conscience. In my early days, when I did not know this wonderful message of freedom from condemnation, I used to read the Bible to ease my conscience. Oh, I didn't read the Bible, so maybe I'll have an accident on my scooter today. Rubbish. I was under law. I realized that God is more interested in my obedience than a ritual. But I studied the Bible thoroughly. The reason I study the Bible is I say, I want to know what are the laws of God. What are the laws of God? You people who are studying in the computer field, working in the computer field, tell me honestly, don't you always try to keep pace with the progress in computer science? Otherwise you lose your job. You know that. You work hard to see the progress in your field, medical field, computer field. You want to know the names of the latest medicines. Otherwise you won't, you'll be a useless doctor. You'll be a useless computer scientist. You keep progress. Why don't you keep in touch with the Bible like that? Lord, I want to know more of your ways. That's why I read the Bible. Not to ease my conscience saying, oh, I read it in the morning. Brothers and sisters, there's no condemnation. He did not come to judge the world. Don't judge other people. I want to sing a song now. Please, I'm sure a number of you know this song. He did not come to judge the world. He did not, talking about Jesus, he did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek, it was to save he came. Not to forgive us, but to save us from that filthy, wretched habit that you are enslaved to today. He came to save you from that. And when we sing that song, let a faith rise in your heart that that filthy habit, which other people don't know, which you are hiding from others, he will save you from it. And when we call him Savior, not just forgiver, when we call him Savior, we call him by his name. We don't have the right to judge. We are not here to blame others. We are only called to bless and help and love them in Jesus' name. And when we love each other, then we glorify his name. Let's sing that. He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek. It was to say He came. And when we call Him Savior, and when we call Him Savior, and when we call him Savior, then we call him by his name. We do not have the right to judge. We are not here to blame. We are only called to bless and help and love in Jesus' name. And when we love each other, 
other and when we love each other and when we love each other then we glorify his name okay you got it now we got to learn it we'll sing it just one more time so that you can sing it i sing that song to myself many times and i encourage myself um it's a good song to sing when you're having a bath or uh, when you're doing nothing else encourage yourself to the way you should live let's sing it again he did not come to judge the world he did not come to blame he did not only come to seek it was to save he came and when we call him savior and when we call him savior and when we call him savior then we call him by his name we do not have the right to judge we are not here to blame we're only called to bless and help and love in jesus name and when we love each other and when we love each other and when we love each other then we glorify his name let's bow in prayer heavenly father thank you for your wonderful word thank you for the holy spirit that's moving in our midst and speaking to our heart at this time i pray that you will give many people here a year to hear what the holy spirit is saying and the seed that is sown will bring forth much fruit thank you lord that you did not come to condemn us we don't have to live thinking you're frowning upon us help us to change to stop listening to the devil and lord to recognize that you smile upon us you love us with an everlasting love and you're on our you're on our side against the devil all the time help us to be those who encourage one another every day we pray in jesus name Amen.